Good morning. Good to see you here today. Thank you, buddy, for that wonderful message and song. Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 18, please. John chapter 18. If you were not aware before the video, I'm sure you're aware after. Today is the 15th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attack on our country. So many things have changed since that day. Some as a result of the attack and some not. Because of that attack, air travel is completely changed. And our awareness of terrorism around the world is heightened. Names like ISIS in Iraq, Abu Sarif in the Philippines, Hamas in the Gaza Strip, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and Al-Qaeda in the Gaza Strip. Before 9-11, most of us had no idea what jihad meant. Our country and our world has changed. Your life, no doubt, has changed as well. Relationships have changed. Some have started while others have ended. Our community has experienced and is still recovering from a major tornado. You may have changed jobs or, like myself, undergone major health issues. But God was not removed from his throne, and God is still in control. We have lived through dark and difficult days. And this morning we're going to look at a, such a time in the life of the disciples when they faced dark and difficult days that challenged their faith. In our last study of the book of John, we heard Jesus praying his great prayer in the presence of his disciples. But now that long period of instruction is over. Now he and his disciples cross over the Kidron Brook and head toward the Garden of Gethsemane. We read in verse 1, and when Jesus had spoken these things, that is, after his prayer, which is recorded in John chapter 17, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Remember, if you will, it is the time of the Passover, and all the Passover lambs are being sacrificed at the temple. And the blood of all those lambs, some estimate as many as 200,000 of them, was poured over the altar as an offering to God. A drain then directed that blood from the sacrifices into the brook Kedron. When Jesus crossed that brook that day, it would have literally been flowing with blood. And surely as he crossed, he thought, of his own imminent sacrifice as the once-for-all payment for the sins of mankind. John is silent about the Lord's agony in the garden. The synoptic gospels have already said all that is necessary on that subject. 
Each of the other Gospels tells us that having selected Peter and James and John to go with him, Jesus withdrew from the others to a quiet place to pray. Luke reveals that he prayed with such emotion that his sweat was, it were, like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. John confines himself almost exclusively to the arrest of Jesus and then showing that in all times everything that happened was under the control of Jesus. He not only embraces the crisis that will result in the cross, he orchestrated it. Jesus made it painfully easy for Judas to find him and the disciples by going to a place that he was known to frequent. Verse 2 says, And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Pilate sends a detachment of soldiers along with the Pharisees and the temple police. The word that is translated detachment is a military unit, is a term which was used for a Roman cohort commanded by a tribune. It was a tenth of a legion. And if at its full strength, would have been a thousand men. Of course, as in our own day, that unit was not always at full strength. And the number would vary from time to time and from place to place. But would have doubtless been five or six hundred men. Whatever the actual number of soldiers, it was obvious It was intended as an overwhelming show of force. What happens when Jesus meets those who have come to arrest him is a remarkable incident which is not reported in any of the other gospel accounts. In verse 4 we read, Jesus therefore knowing all things that would come upon him went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? The use of the present tense verb knowing implies that Jesus had a very real and ongoing knowing knowledge of all that is going to happen here. He was not taken by surprise at the approach of the soldiers for he knew what was going to happen to him. It is Jesus who is in control of the situation when he steps forward to meet the soldiers asking the question, In verse 4, whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. In his story, the apostle John gives us three details about the arrest of Jesus that none of the other gospels give us. First of all, he displays his glory. In the second part of verse 5, it says... Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. His answer, no doubt, caught them off guard. 
It answered their question and more. His answer in verse 5 emphasizes that he was more than what they sought. They had gone forth with their torches and their weapons to arrest an itinerant preacher who they expected to be hiding in some dark corner. And, And instead they are confronted by a commanding figure who steps forward and demands what their business is. Verse 6 says, and then, when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell on the ground. When Jesus says, I am he, it is literally in the Greek, ego I me. Those are the very Greek words that are used to translate Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14 in the Septuagint. This phrase or title is used nine times in the gospel of John when Jesus says, I am the bread, and he says, I am the vine, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the he in the Greek text is not there. It is added for clarity. It simply reads, I am. Literally, I am God. I am Jehovah. His words are a gracious warning to those who are in way over their heads. The British pastor Alexander McLaren expressed this rather clearly when he wrote, There for a moment, a little rendering of the veil of his flesh, and all emission was there of a brightness which tabernacled within him. And that, therefore, just as Isaiah, when he saw the king in his glory, woe is me, for I am undone. And just as Moses could look, not look upon his face, but could only look on his back part, so... Here, the one stray beam of manifest divinity that shot through the crevice, as it were, for an instant was enough to prostrate them with a strange awe, even these rude and insensitive men. In verse 6, John does not say that the soldiers momentarily pause in their effort to arrest Jesus, but rather that they actually stepped backwards and fell to the ground. When he made his great I am statement, those soldiers fell backward to the ground. And in doing this, he showed just exactly how powerless they were, even with their swords and their spears. The power that sent them reeling backwards to the ground could have just as easily held them there. It is a rather ludicrous thought that they could believe that men with puny weapons could come and arrest the Son of God. They came with weapons expecting trouble, and they were right to be worried. But had he chosen to resist, no weapons would have been sufficient. And had he not chosen to give himself up, they were powerless to force him. 
When in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus returns at the end of the age, the only weapon that he will need to defeat the armies of the Antichrist are the words of his mouth. Matthew records that in response to Peter's actions, Jesus said, Do you not think that I could not now pray to my Father and he would provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angels. The Old Testament tells us in Isaiah chapter 37 that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. How many could 72,000 angels kill? John wants to make sure that we understand that up to and including the moment he gave himself up to the soldiers, Jesus was in complete control. Here's the thought. If Jesus demonstrated such power in the midst of his humiliation, how great will his power be when he returns in his power and glory? We sometimes erroneously believe that if God would demonstrate his power, that people would repent and believe. But such is not the case. Even this display of power and majesty of the Lord does not deter Judas, nor the mob that accompanied him from their purpose of arresting him. Just as those who came to arrest Jesus resisted that revelation, such it will always be. For the book of Revelation reveals that even in the last days, when, Jesus, when God is dealing directly with sinners, they refuse to repent. Revelation chapter 16, verse 8 says, And then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed in the name of God, who had the power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. And then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain, and they did not repent of their deeds." He not only displayed his glory, but secondly, he protected his disciples. In verse 7, Jesus again asked the question, whom are you seeking? But this time he phrased it even more forcefully. Since he had made the soldiers clarify their business with him alone, Jesus states in verse 8, I have told you, that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. This literally is a command, by the way. Translated let or allow these to go. This is a command, not a request. There can be little doubt that the original intent of the soldiers was to arrest the entire band of disciples Jesus does not defend himself, but he does defend his disciples. His disciples were allowed to go on their way so that, as verse 9 reveals, 
that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake, of these whom you have given me, I have lost none. That was true spiritually, but it is also true physically. The power that secured the disciples' safety could have just as easily secured his own. This made such an impression on John that 60 years later, he still could not get over it. There are a number of scriptures that tell us that his protection extended beyond the 11 disciples to preserve those of all the ages whom the Father has given him. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is also able to aid those who are tempted. Philippians 3.20 and 21 says, The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body, that it being conformed to his gracious and glorious body, according to the work by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Jude 24 and 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Even at the very moment of his arrest, Jesus showed his control over the circumstances. He demonstrated his power over the soldiers, his compassion to those who were perhaps unwittingly his enemies, and concern for the safety of of the disciples. He not only protects his disciples, he extends his mercy. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 22 that Jesus betrayed the Lord with a kiss. That was apparently a little more than Peter could stand. Verse 10 says, And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant And cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. Out Peter comes with a hidden short sword and he lunges at Malchus. No doubt with every intention of removing his head. Hopefully he was a better fisherman than he was a swordsman. Or as one man commented, his zeal outran his skill. Either the intended victim ducked or the sword was deflected by a helmet. But either way, all Peter managed to do was cut off the man's ear. All of the gospel accounts tell us of this incident. but Only John tells us that it was Peter. But lest we get too pious, have you ever tried to help God out? Tried to help the Lord in the wrong way. The problem is that of trying to accomplish the work of the spirit and the power of the flesh. 
You remember Moses, he made a similar mistake when he tried to free the people of Israel in his own power. All he ended up doing was killing an Egyptian and fleeing for his life. Why did Peter make such a mistake? Well, an examination of the story reveals several mistakes that he made. First of all, Peter was mistaken because of a lack of spiritual preparation. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. Jesus had told him and the other two disciples who had accompanied him into the garden for prayer, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. But Peter had failed to prepare himself for the challenges that he would face. Sometimes we fail to respond correctly when we neglect to pray. Secondly, Peter was mistaken in that he relied on a carnal weapon to accomplish a spiritual victory. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And third, Peter was wrong in that he fought the wrong enemy. He thought the enemy was the men who had come to carry out the rest. And so he fought back. And if we are not careful, we expend our energy fighting against people that are not our enemy, but are rather being used by our enemy. Peter made every mistake possible. He fought the wrong enemy, he used the wrong weapon. He had the wrong motive, and he accomplished the wrong result. Things no doubt got a little tense after Peter lopped off this man's ear. And I think only the words of the Lord overt any further violence. It is at this point that Jesus says to Peter in verse 11, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? Far from being defeated by the wickedness of man, Jesus acted in accordance with the will of his heavenly Father. Luke, who you will remember is a physician, is the one who tells us that at this point Jesus touched Malchus' ear and healed him. Jesus not only showed his power and authority over the situation, but he also displays his mercy and his compassion extended even to those who sought to arrest him. If Jesus could stun an armed man and replace a severed deer, then he certainly had the power to extricate himself from any situation. John makes one thing abundantly clear. Jesus was not taken against his will. There was never a time during his entire arrest that he was not completely in control. He was not a victim of an angry mob. Jesus willingly offered himself as the sacrifice for sin. As hard as it is for us to understand, what happened in Gethsemane was not a tragedy. Neither are the Gethsemanes that we experience.
That doesn't take away from the fact that there are dark and difficult days in our lives. But it is encouragement even in those things that we regard as tragedies that there stands a benevolent, wise purpose of our loving and heavenly Father. The circumstances of our lives may be dark at times. And we may feel that we are all but crushed by the experiences of our life, but this is not the end. God is in control. What men may intend for evil, God intends for good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us that you're always in control. That even when things are dark and difficult in our lives and the lives of of our country, that you were and are still in control. That you have a purpose for our lives and even the dark circumstances of our lives have a purpose. We pray only, Lord, that your purpose will be achieved in our lives. Help us to rely on you, look to you, and may it encourage us, Lord, to remember that things are never beyond your control. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.